Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. All right, if you have your Bibles, open to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. And um, I'm grateful and humbled to be able to speak this morning. And... uh, I saw some people when Pastor came up and said that I was preaching, pulling out phones, already making reservations for uh, lunch, and uh, so Pastor said that I'm about 15 minutes less, but sometimes he, you know, I'm usually about 30 minutes, and so sometimes you, if you know him, he goes a little bit longer than 45 minutes, so it might be, it might be a little bit, a little bit uh, more than 15 minutes, but I'm grateful for the opportunity and uh, extremely thankful. Uh, I definitely miss our pastor while he's gone, and uh, I love it when he's here. I love hearing him preach, and, uh, but so thankful thankful that he would trust me to be able to speak. As he mentioned, Damaris and I are excited to welcome our third baby, and uh, we're extremely uh, pumped and excited, obviously nervous, overwhelming, um, but we are, you know, we're going to be grateful if we get a boy or a girl, okay? And, uh, but we are, we are maybe hoping to have a girl around this time, and uh, we're excited about that. But if it's a boy, uh, we can just take a vote right now. I'm trying to keep the, uh, the consistent C's, right? So we got Chandler and Cruz, and uh, our next boy I'm trying to keep with a C again, and uh, my wife is not as excited about that. So all in favor? No? Okay, only a few. All right. So it looks like we're on my wife's side here on this one. And, uh, but we're excited and uh, just extremely grateful. Uh, for this precious baby that God has given us, and uh, looking forward to the time ahead. As, as Jay has uh, mentioned before while he preached, uh, while pastor's gone, it kind of feels like while we're here, the junior varsity squad is up, right? Jay, I think, said that. And uh, I thought that was a, a really funny illustration, and uh, kind of funny to mention that, you know, pastor, I, I love having him around, and, and uh, him being here, and having him preach. Um, but uh, this is the JV squad that you get today. And so next week, if this is your first time at Liberty, I encourage you, be here next week uh, to hear our pastor. And I know that you'll be blessed by the second part of that message. But Hebrews chapter number 10. Uh, speaking of JV, you know, one of the opportunities that I have and uh, one of my uh, roles here at the church and of the school is to um, coach varsity basketball. Pastor and I have had the opportunity to coach varsity basketball for about five years, and uh, it's, it's definitely a passion of mine, and it's something that I enjoy doing. I enjoy uh, doing skill development and, and prepping, uh, prepping these young men to be able to play and to, uh, to figure out their roles and, and become a cohesive unit. And uh, when you come together with an original group, and, and you have these guys that really have never played together, and then seeing them become a team and transform to not just individuals and focusing on their individual stats and their individual performances, but building together and becoming a successful team and winning games. No one wants to be a part of a team that just constantly loses, right? No one wants to experience that, and uh, no one wants to be the Clippers, all right? We love being the Lakers in LA, and uh, we love being a part of that winning culture, right, Pastor Jay? And uh, having those 
those banners up, you know, when they go into Staples Center, you know, they cover those banners up. But as Laker fans, we love seeing those banners and being a part of that winning culture. And that's, that's one of my favorite things about being a coach is, is developing that culture and, 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 and seeing these guys play. And, and I have to be honest, I played high school and college basketball, but uh, there's nothing like coaching. And uh, I, I really enjoy being able to do that and being in that position. And so before every game, you know, Pastor and I will sit down and we'll go over the game plan with each other first and we'll talk about the other players and we'll talk about our players and kind of what we want and what things maybe in the last game do we not really do well on and what were we struggling with, what, what do we need to kind of put together to get our unit to be able to perform at the level that they need to perform right. And so we put together these game plans and we'll look at stats online and we'll watch some game film about these players and see kind of what this team is all about, where are they strong, where are they weak, and where are the strong players at. And so for, for our Christian school league though, there are some teams uh, that, that maybe don't have the resources or just aren't fully prepared, and so we'll go into these games sometimes blind. We haven't seen anything about these, these teams. Excuse me, we haven't, watched, we haven't watched any film, we haven't seen any stats, we don't know what players are, are really good, and so what we have to judge these teams on is just warm-ups, right? And so we go to warm-ups, and, and, and me and Pastor will always sit down on the bench, we'll give the guys the pep talk, we don't know what team's coming out there today, guys, we don't know who they're going to show up with, we don't know if they're going to be 6'10", or if they're going to be 5'3", you know? We don't know who we're playing, but we're going to come out, we're going to play our brand of basketball, we're going to compete, we're going to be strong, we're going to give effort, and we give them that pitch. And then we go out to warm-ups, and we sit on the bench, and we begin to evaluate the other players, right? And so we're just really looking for those players that look like skill players, that are going to be impact players for their teams, right? And so we'll watch these guys, and you know, you can usually key in pretty quickly what players are going to make an impact in the game, and what players are really going to do nothing for the team, right? And so you can kind of see, you know, this, this guy can really ball hand, he's got some great ball handling skills, and you know, this is probably going to be the point guard of this team, or man, this guy, he's hit like three or four threes in a row, he's going to be their shooter, and so we got to make sure that we close out on the shooter here, and we got we to key in on this guy here, and this guy, he's just really developed, you can tell he's a hustler, he's, he's man, he's just moving to the basket quick, and then there are some like other things that you can look at with players, right? Like if he's, if he's wearing the cool shoes, like if he's invested money and wearing the right brand of shoes, and you can tell, man, like he's really invested in this, and you know, maybe he's got the sleeve on, and he's got that sleeve that makes him just like look cool, and he's got a little bit of swag while he's playing, and he's doing this crossover, and you're like, man, this guy looks legit, or maybe he's got like the headband or something, and he's got like something about him that you're just like, this guy is it. This is the best player on their team. And so usually, Pastor and I can figure it out, but there have been occasions, right, where we're, we're, we're watching these warm-ups, and we're looking at these players, and when it comes to the actual game, Sometimes the players that we thought were just going to be this great impact player really do nothing. Right? They're in warm-ups, and they're skilled. They can cross over, and they can, they can hit a shot with no one guarding them. And then the second they get into the game, they're running around like with a chicken with their head cut off, right? Like they have no idea what's happening. And sometimes even the players that we thought were great don't even start the game. They don't even see the court really. And they, they look like this, this player is going to make such an impact for their team and is going to be such a strong player and really help them. And, and we're going to have to key in on this player and their impact is going to be so great for their team. But really, they did nothing for their team. All they did was impress a few other coaches. They made no impact at all. They stepped on the court and did nothing. In fact, they turned the ball over. They, they messed up and they, and they were more of a disaster than they were a help. There was no impact those players had no impact to help their team win the game. They were impressive. They were impressive. 
but there was no impact. And as we look at Hebrews chapter number 10 this morning, I want to challenge us with this thought in mind. Impacting is greater than impressing. Impacting is greater than impressing. Look with me in Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse number 23. Hebrews 10 and verse number 23. The Bible says this, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Impacting is greater than impressing. Father, I pray that you would help us as we look from your word in, in Hebrews chapter number 10, and as you've given me something and challenged my heart, I pray that I would effectively communicate that to those in this room that are listening. I pray that you would challenge each of us. Lord, may we seek to make an impact in the lives of the people that you bring to us. May we not impress them with what we know, May we not impress them with how talented we are or what skills we developed, because Lord, those are gifts from you. But may we truly desire to impact the lives of the people in our lives. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. There's a huge difference between making an impact and impressing someone. And I hope today that as we listen to God's word, that we consider our life. And we look at our life, and we evaluate our life, and we say, what can I do to make an impact in the people that God brings in to my life? You see, ultimately, it's God who changes lives. It's God who does that working in somebody else's life. But God uses us as human instruments to make an impact in the people that we come in contact with. And as we look at the text this morning, let's ask ourselves, how can I make a difference in the lives of those around me? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. Are we the type of people that add to the relationships in our lives? That build up the people in our lives? Do we edify? Do we encourage? Do we believe in people? Do we make an impact in their lives? Proverbs 27.17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. God uses this example of sharpening. We need to be Christians that sharpen each other that push each other to be more committed followers of Jesus. You see, it's ultimately their decision. It's their decision to be a committed follower of Christ, just like it's your decision, just like it's my decision. It's our decision to be committed followers of Jesus. You can't force anybody. But we can be the type of people that sharpen each other, that encourage one another, pushing each other. You see, if every person you surround yourself with has no sincere desire to live for God or to follow after God, that's a problem. If the people around you are not being encouraged and strengthened by your life or by my life, that's a real problem. You see, God encourages us to strengthen one another, to build each other up. As we build that foundation in our lives, our Christian foundation, God challenges us to encourage each other. If our life is making no direct impact on anybody around us, that's a sincere and serious problem. People should see how we live and how we treat others and say this, I want that for my life. I, I want that. I want to be that type of person. You see, there's something different about the way that they live. That's the desire for my life. I don't want to impress people. 
I think when I first got into ministry, and when I was young, I was 21 years old, and I was excited, and, 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 I, and I think, I, I, got, I, I know, I got into this place where I was, I was so worried about impressing people and what everybody thought about me. And I think most of us can attest, uh, that really does nothing for our spiritual growth. You see, my, my desire is that my life would make an impact on the people around me. My life is that I would impact those around me, not impress them with how talented I am or, or, or uh, how much I know about God's Word. And I want to know God's Word, but I want to impact their life, have a meaningful impact. And so in Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse number 23 through 25, there are three truths that are absolutely necessary for the believer if we are going to have a meaningful impact in the lives of those that God places in our life. And so first, first, as we look in verse number 23, we see this. We see a private faith a private faith. The Bible says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. As we examine Hebrews and look at this thought of our impact and our influence in others, it's important for us to stand, understand this very important truth. Only until you have been there with God can you take someone there with you. Only until you have been somewhere with God can you take them there with you. You will only be able to take people somewhere you have been and currently are. How hypocritical for us to encourage others to pray for answers when our prayer life is weak. To tell others to stay in the Word when the only time we open the Bible is in Sunday morning in church. To trust in God in difficult circumstances when we are constantly proud and ignoring, ignoring God's will for our life. We can only take people to a place where we have been if we truly want to make an impact I must live it. I must live what I speak into others' lives. I must live the life that I want others to live, that I'm pushing others to live. I must live that for myself. You see, we can't expect someone to do something that I myself am not willing to do. That's often what happens, right? We begin to put these high expectations on people. Well, I can't believe they would do that, and I can't believe they would live this way, and I can't believe that they would make this decision, or I can't believe, man, if they would just stay in God's Word, if they would just commit to faithful prayer, if they would just trust in God during this difficult circumstance. But then we find ourselves doing the same thing that others do, right? And I've been there. Are we living the life that we're encouraging others to live? Do others see Christ in you? A Sunday school teacher was seeking to impress a a class of students, the importance of living the Christian life. He asked this question, why do people call me a Christian? Why do people call me a Christian? After a moment and a pause, one young man raised his hand and he said, maybe it's because they just don't know you. Do people see that there's something different about you? Can they tell that you're really in love with Jesus? Or like this teacher, would someone say of us, they just don't really know us. And if you knew the real Ryan, I mean, yeah, when he comes to church, he's he's great, but if you knew the real Ryan, don't let that be said of us. I must be willing to admit that I I will only be able to make a lasting impact in someone's life when I realize my private faith is my priority. 1 Corinthians 15, 38, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, my faith in Christ must be strong. It must be sturdy, unmovable. You say, I want to make an impact. I want to influence others for right. I want to encourage others. I want to be be a, a strong influence in the people that God brings to me. 
I must prioritize my own relationship with God first. This is for every area of our life. It should be true of us as Christians that we prioritize. We can only take people to a place where we have been in every area of our life. If you're a doctor and you want to effectively teach people that are coming up in your field, you have to have experience in that field. You have to know what you're talking about. Man, if you're a mechanic and you want to train someone how to fix that part or how to do this, this certain thing on this car, you have to know how to do it. You have to have experience in this. And the same thing is for us as Christians. If I want to take someone there, and if I want to encourage someone and take them along with me to get to this point in their, in their Christian life, then I have to live that life. I must be there first. So number one, we must have a, a real, genuine, authentic relationship with God. But however, God has not called us to just internalize our relationship with him, and that's what we're looking at here, impacting, but rather to be a light for Christ. Secondly, I must have personal encouragement, personal encouragement. So we saw private faith, and now we see personal encouragement. Let's read verse number 24 in Hebrews 10. Verse number 24 says this, and let us consider one another. So that first part, let's consider one another to provoke unto love into good works. Here's the focus for our life. Here's what we should aim for from morning until night as a Christian, to consider. Consider means to think about, to, to ponder, to meditate, to mull over. Christ is urging us to consider one another. Literally, this is God's call to each of us as Christians to consider one another, to look at one another, to think about one another, to, to focus on one another. To let your mind be occupied with, with the concerns of another. This is the goal and the focus. And this, this, our society becomes so self-focused, right? We live for ourselves. We often spend so much time considering what we want and what we think and what makes us feel good and how we feel about this certain situation. When God's word tells us that we should first be focused up and then focused out. You see, when the Pharisees tried to trip up Christ, what did they say in Matthew 22? He answered by saying, uh, uh, they asked, what, what is the most important law? And he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And then he said, the second, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is countercultural to us, right? This is the way God calls the Christian to live. Do we consider others? Often it feels like, I know for me, sometimes I fall in this trap of the only time I begin to consider others is when I speak of another person, right? When I begin to talk about them, or say something that tears them down or belittles them behind their back. And, and, and I can become so focused on what others think about me and their perception of me that I lose sight of really impacting the lives of those around me. Be the person that considers them and speaks Christ into their life, that lifts them up in prayer to gather other believers, to rally behind someone hurting or discouraged. Encourage them, lift them up. Pick up your brother when he falls. Let's consider one another. As God lays someone on your heart, reach out. Check up on them. You never know how God will use you in someone's life. And so then after we are told to consider one another, we are then instructed to provoke others unto love and to good works. Provoke means to stir up purposely. And so the Bible, I believe, the Bible could just say here that we are to treat others with love and do good to them, right? God's Word could have said that, but that's not what God's Word says here. God's Word says to provoke them. 
That means my impact on their life is so great that I'm not just doing something good for them, that I'm challenging them to do that for somebody else. The influence that I have in that person's life is not just encouraging them, is not just lifting their spirits, is not just blessing them, it's challenging them to live this way as well. It's challenging them to find someone else and do the same thing for someone else that I am doing for them. It's causing a reaction, right? To provoke them unto good works. Notice carefully, it's not what we expect. Not to just treat them with love, but it's different. Provoking them to stir them up, to purposely and intentionally help somebody else and minister to someone else. To encourage them, to lift them up, to do good, to find someone that's hurting, that's struggling. To pick them up when they fall. As the old quote goes, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. That's so true for us as the believer, right? Allow them to experience the true joy of impacting another life. Allow them to experience it. We're not hurting them by helping them to serve. We're not hurting anybody by encouraging someone to minister to someone else. We're allowing them to experience the joy that we get to experience each time we impact the life of another. We're allowing them to experience what we've experienced, to challenge them to do what you have done. I I don't want my life to just, to make somebody else smile. And and that's great. I hope when when I have an impact on someone that that brings joy to their heart. And, and, And when I do something for someone else, man, I hope that lifts them up and that encourages them. I, I hope that does that, but that's not where I want it to stop. I want that to cause them to encourage somebody else. I want them to do the same thing that I have simply done for them. Yes, receiving a blessing is just that. It's a blessing. But giving of your time, focusing on someone else other than yourself, that's where real Christianity is found. That's what Luke wrote in Acts 20, 35. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We are showing them where true joy is found. It's found in giving to others, giving up something of yourself for the benefit of someone else without expecting anything in return. Empowering others to take someone under their wing and to show them how to navigate this Christian life and encouraging somebody and and, and discipling a new believer, encouraging a family that's hurting, lifting someone up who's fallen. Yes, we need to share and show the love of Jesus with everyone that we come in contact with. And we need to assist and encourage and help them to, to, as they navigate their Christian life, yes. But more than that, we need to be encouraging them and provoking them to do the same in somebody else's life. It's like setting up those dominoes, right? You seen those videos on YouTube? Should have brought one of those. Where they, where, where they, they make like a, a character and they have 10,000 dominoes and you knock those things down and what do they do? They just this chain reaction. And as one knocks down the other and one knocks down the other, that's, that's what we should be doing as Christians. As I encourage Jay and Jay encourages somebody else. And as Jay encourages Kevin, then Kevin encourages somebody else. And it's a chain reaction. We're all provoking others unto love and to good works. That's what the Bible commands us to do. So I challenge you with this. Who has been directly impacted by you? Who have you seen, who have you encouraged and you impacted so much that their desire was to do the same for others? For me, who have I had a direct impact on 
that it's been so great that they've been challenged to do that same thing for somebody else. There are only so many people one person can reach, but collectively with God's power, we can do so much more to further his kingdom. How do I encourage others to express love and to do good by exemplifying these actions? Be real. What can I do today that will provoke others to love and to impact others? So we saw it starts with our personal relationship with Jesus, and it moves how, to how we act and encourage others. And then lastly, if we want to make an impact, we must have public growth, togetherness. Verse number 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. I can say this. We see the day approaching, don't we? We see the day approaching. The Bible says so much the more. If we want to make an impact in others' lives, we must not forget the importance of gathering together with our believers. Why? Because two is stronger than one. Two is stronger than one. There's only so much that an individual can do. But a collective group, we can do so much more for the kingdom. The Bible says in verse number 25, as the manner, as the manner, meaning your custom, your habitual practice, your habit, is literally what the Bible is saying here. It says, as the manner of some is, right? Stating that it's the habit of some. But it should be a habit for all. This should be a habit for all, that we are, we are constantly gathering with other believers. When something is a habit, it becomes something that becomes so valuable to you, you have to do it, whether good or bad, right? Like, I, I, was, I, I struggled for years biting my fingernails, forever. I did it until I was like 25. I finally quit. It was such a bad habit. It was something that I didn't even think about, Right? Like, it didn't even cross my mind that I was going to bite my fingernails. It was just, and I didn't even notice I was doing it. Sometimes I would be in meetings, and people would, even pastor would say, don't bite your fingernails. And my mom, even when I was 25, my mom was telling me to stop biting my fingernails, right? Like, she would notice that, and I wasn't even thinking about it. And everyone would say, it's a nervous tick. You must be really nervous. But I was doing it like just, you know, eating a hamburger. I mean, I, I don't know. I was, just, I was just biting my fingernails, and it became this, this habit that it, it just didn't even cross my mind. I didn't even think about it. I just, I just did it. And I believe this is what God is saying for us as Christians. And I don't do it out of a religious ritual, and I don't go to church in vain, but it should be a habit for us. It should be something that we just do. Like, it's, 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 not, it's not something that I have to think about. Well, I wonder if, I wonder if I'm going to make this a priority today. It's like, no, this is, this is my priority. This has become something that is so valuable and so important to me. Now, listen, I don't neglect the private faith. That's what we looked at first. This doesn't replace private faith. The, the corporate gathering does not, does not replace my private relationship with Jesus. But you know what it does? It inflates it. <laughs> it makes it stronger, right? The corporate gathering makes my private faith with Jesus more real. Because when I'm here and I hear our pastor speak from, from God's word, it challenges me to dig deeper into that passage that, I, that he preached from. It challenges me to, to look more into what, what was he really trying to say, and, and man, God really spoke to my heart. I'm going to reread that passage, and this, was, and this was what God challenged me with. It inflates that. It, it makes that personal faith stronger. It doesn't replace it. It builds upon it. 
And that's what God is saying here. As the habit of the manner of some is. It should be something that we constantly practice, corporate gathering with our church and in small groups or simply just gathering together with other believers and finding a brother or a sister and and grabbing coffee and grabbing a meal and just encouraging one another. You know why? Because two is greater than one. Together we are stronger. Together with God we are stronger. It should not be that uh, uh, that we move church around our schedule. My schedule should be moved around my church. It's that important. Just like, it's so important for me to eat, right? I'm a big dude. I love eating. I love eating. And, 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 And I make those meals a priority for me. I make it a priority. And the same thing should be with gathering with other believers. Together we are stronger. It's not something that I do to earn more favor with God. I don't go to church so that God will be pleased with me or happy with me or so that I'll earn more favor with him or so that I'll gain more love from him. I I can't gain any more love from God that he's already shown me. I do this because of my love for him. Because of his love for me is why I want to do this. And this growth, this, this corporate worship that we see here, this public growth only helps and encourages my private faith. And that private faith and that public growth, that's what pushes me to consider others. And when my relationship with God is where it needs to be, that's what pushes me to make an impact on others' lives. God, we are stronger together. We are stronger when we are unified. Proverbs 29, 22. The Bible says this, Proverbs 29, 22, when we are not together, it says an angry man stirreth up strife. When we are together, when we are gathering together with other believers, it should not be lived to create division. When we are together, we shouldn't be seeking to say, well, the pastor said this, and this wasn't right, and and man, this brother or this sister, I can't believe that they would do this, and we begin to create strife amongst each other, and I've been there, I've I've talked badly about people, I've had to uh, repent and ask God for forgiveness, but that should not be who we are. We should live to seek unity and togetherness. Why? Because two are stronger than one. We looked at first our private faith. We looked at our, our corporate gathering should not replace my private faith. It should be included with. Neither of those two should be ing- uh, neglected. We looked at how we should encourage others, exhort one another. The difficult conversations we see here, it says exhort one another, meaning to warn one another, to have real conversations, to challenge one another, to push one another, to live right, to hold each other accountable. Not, not in pride, but to push each other to live and, and to, to reach our, po- our full potential in Christ. Because of Christ, we are now together. It's God's will that Christians should assemble together. Our impact on this world will be greater when we are together because we have each other's back. We're sitting together corporately worshiping God in our services here. So impacting is greater than impressing. I've known some pretty impressive Christians in my life. We've all been around them. They know the words to say. They answer all the questions right. They have amazing talents. And just because you have talents doesn't mean that you're not making an impact. That's not what I'm saying. But we've all known that person, right? They're like those players that me and Pastor see. They look great. They look super skilled. They're talented. They look like they make an impact, but there's no fruit. There's no fruit. They look impressive, but there's no real impact. 
They're imposters. Don't let that be said of us. I don't want that to be said of me. Man, Ryan gave up there and he gave a great sermon and he was passionate and he challenged us. But in his personal life, that's not really who he is. He doesn't make real lasting impact in others' lives. And it's God who really, who, who uses us, but it's God who changes lives. We understand that. Don't be the Christian that casually lives their Christian life filling out a religious checklist and expecting God to be pleased at the end. Don't be looking to impress others. Many of you know my story. I was raised by a single mom. And growing up when I was young, um, we would see my dad every other weekend. And that was the routine, growing up with a, with a, a split family. And, and uh, so we would go and see my dad every other weekend. And, and there were times where he would move and he would come down and see us. Or we would drive and we would go to his place. And so I was at my mom's and really my grandma, my grandpa's with my mom. We, we stayed together. And, and uh, you know, then I would see my dad every other weekend. And when I saw my dad, uh, he would always do the same thing like every single, every single weekend that we'd see him. He would always promise us and make us and say these extravagant things that he was going to do for us, whether it was this extravagant vacation, or I remember him telling us he was going to buy a bunch of ATVs and motorcycles, and he was going to take us out, and he would make all these extravagant promises. Um, back then, I, I don't even remember what type of car it was, but it was, uh, I, I, it was some sort of Dodge. I think it was the Dodge Viper. Actually, that's what it was. It was the Dodge Viper. And I remember him telling me all the time, we're going to buy a Dodge Viper, and then when you turn 16, I'm going to give you this car. And I was, you know, this is my dad. I'm like nine years old. I'm like freaking out, right? I'm like, this is insane, you know? And that was like my favorite car. I think they're like, I don't even think Vipers exist anymore. Um, but that was like my favorite car. And so I remember one day, it was my birthday, right? And uh, he picked me up, and he said, guess what we're going to do? I was like, what? He said, we're going to the Dodge dealership. And I was like freaking out, right? I was like an eight, nine-year-old kid. I was like, no way. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, we're going to get this Dodge Viper. And I was like giddy. I remember telling my mom about it. I was all excited. This was my birthday, and we were going to go do it. And we get to the dealership, and we walk up on that grass. We look at it, and we see it there. It was a red Viper. I was like, this thing is sweet. And he looks at it, and he says, isn't that cool, son? I was like, that's so cool. Isn't that awesome? I was like, yeah. All right, let's go. I was like, what? Are we getting this car? He's like, no, no, no. We just, we just came to look at it. We just came to see it. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that so impressive? Isn't that cool? I was like, what? what? We don't even get to test drive it? Like, what, did they check your credit before or something? Like, what's going on? <laughs> we don't get to experience it? Like, you're not getting it? Like, you, you made this promise, right? Like, you told me this was going to happen. But that's all it was. It was just seeking to impress me to impress me with something. And I don't say this story to, for pity. God has blessed me so much more than, uh, with so much more than I deserve. But guess what that did? Him constantly promising and trying to impress me, but making no impact in my life, really affected that relationship. It really broke down that relationship. So eventually there was no real relationship at all. Because I had a father that didn't make an impact in my life. Made no real impact in my life. The only thing he did was impress me with fancy things and fancy words that he said he was going to do for me. Let's not let other believers and the people that we have relationships with 
say that about us. That, oh yeah, Ryan, that's all he does is try to impress me with fancy words and his amazing gifts. And, but there's no real lasting impact. There's no real sincere lasting impact. Man, he, he doesn't have that strong private faith. He's not really seeking to encourage or build up others. When he gathers together, there's no real sincerity. He's just seeking to impress me with the way that he lives. I want to challenge each of us. Impacting is so much greater than impressing. Follow through. Be there for people. Let's truly be the hands and feet of Jesus. Don't worry about impressing those you come in contact with. Make an impact on their lives. Show them the love and show them what living a real, authentic Christian life is really all about. God is not pleased with people who just look to impress others. He's not. He's looking for someone who will be used of him to make an impact, to encourage the hurting, to show love to the less fortunate, to see them, to see us encouraging and showing, and then them showing the same love and compassion to others. If we want to make a lasting impact on the lives of those around us, we have to be connected with God. And when I'm connected with God, I'll be connected with others. I'll stay connected to God by having a real personal faith, by encouraging those that God places in my life, and connecting to God's house with people. Each one of these points go hand in hand. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and God has spoken to you about something specific. Maybe, maybe your private faith has gotten a little weak recently. And you've been encouraging others, you've been challenging others to live a certain way, but you really haven't been living the way you're expecting others to live. And God has challenged you. I want to encourage you, strengthen that private faith. Make it real for you. Don't just say, I, I, I gather. God, I go to church, I'm, I'm here on Sundays. Because Sundays are only to make my private faith stronger, to build that. Maybe you're here today and, and, and God has put someone on your mind that you can encourage and lift up and you can make an impact on their life. And God has specifically named a name and you're thinking about someone right now. I want to encourage you this week, reach out to them. See what you can do to encourage them and help them and lift them up. Maybe you know someone that has fallen and you could come alongside them and pick them up and help them to get them to the place where they need to be. Maybe for you, God's house hasn't been a priority. It's just not been a priority. And you need to say, man, I'm, I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit to God's house because I want that to strengthen my private faith. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and this is your first time here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. And you're like, man, this is, this is the way Christians are supposed to live. But you've never even become a follower of Christ. I would encourage you, don't, don't leave this morning without talking to someone about how to have a real personal faith with Jesus. I promise you, you'll not regret it. And Christian, God's call is for everyone. Every day is new and different. People change, their circumstances change, you change, but God's call remains the same. Consider the people you will be around today. Consider how you can make an impact. This is the reason for living. This is the reason God has given us breath and life, to serve him and to encourage others. Let's have that strong personal faith. 
Let's seek to encourage others. And let's make the priority of gathering together. Let's make it a priority. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.